The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the first chapter. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Go to Bethlehem. That seems to be the theme of a lot of our Christmas hymns and carols that we sing, both inside and outside of church this time of year. Christmas hymns invite us to go to the manger ourselves. Just read through them now or at home later and you'll see what I mean. Go to the manger of Jesus and worship the newborn king. Come to Bethlehem and see him whose birth the angels sing. And of course, as we processed into this morning, O come all ye faithful, O come ye, O come ye, to Bethlehem. Now, personally... I've been to Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. A few of you might have been there too as well. Kind of far, but maybe you've been on the East Coast before. I've never been to the original Bethlehem though, the actual Bethlehem over in the Middle East. And moreover, when it comes to going to Bethlehem to worship the newborn king, you could try to, but you're about 2,000 years too late. No, we can't. We cannot physically ourselves in this time and place, go to Bethlehem and worship Jesus Christ, the incarnate Lord. But that does not mean that we cannot physically, in actuality, worship before him in his real presence. If you're a Christian, talking to a room full of Christians, you Christians have a strong desire to be with Jesus, to be with him, to be in front of him, next to him, beside him. How could you not? If you know how awful you are according to your fallen nature because of your sins, when you know how bad you are and how much you need him, do you not want to be with him and say, thank you for everything that you did? Thank you for all that you have done for me, a poor, miserable sinner. I think that anybody who really doesn't truly, in their heart of hearts, want that actually doesn't understand two things, how bad they truly are and how wonderful a Savior that they have in Jesus. But let's assume, for the sake of argument this morning, that everybody has the right answer on this. They have a deep knowledge, sense, 
and feeling of their sin and their guilt. And on top of that, they have a confident faith that in Jesus Christ, God the Father, has overlooked that sin and guilt in its entirety. That the blood on the cross was truly the ransom price that God paid so that we might not be lost eternally, but might be saved eternally. If we all understand that, what do we want to do? Take for granted God's favor and love? Just kind of assume it as a backdrop, but go about our business not giving it much of a second thought? Do we want to run off and just live for ourselves and the natural carnal pleasures which still cling to us and draw us away from the cross? No. No, of course not. We want to say thank you. We want to say thank you to our God who came into this world to love and to save us. And moreover, since he is God himself in the flesh, this Jesus, we want to worship him. We want to adore him. We want to praise him, falling down at his feet and singing, Gloria, Gloria in excelsis forever. Any time or place would do if we had the opportunity, wouldn't it? If you could be there with the disciples and the women and the angels on Easter Sunday at the actual empty tomb, would you not say, thank you, Lord, I love you, Lord? If you could be there on Good Friday, truly being there beholding our Lord Jesus Christ bleeding out on the cross for your sins, would you not take the opportunity to be there and to say, thank you, I love you, I worship you, Lord? Or even if you could settle for just a passing moment, a glimpse of him in the middle of his earthly ministry, and say it, praise him, I love you, I thank you, O Lamb of God. And would you, of course, if you could, truly be there in Bethlehem, in that stable, next to his manger, looking down at a baby who is your God, your maker, your redeemer, and your friend. Of course you would. But alas, again, a couple millennia, too late. We weren't there. Moreover, we can't go back in time to those places and events to see our Lord with our own eyes. But there is a place that we can, truly can, come and worship Jesus in a real, in a physical, in a tangible way. And dear friends, that is as he comes to us in the Holy Supper of his own body and blood. Leading up to the Reformation, there was a big problem, a big problem in the Western Church, the Roman Church. The Lord's Supper and everything surrounding it was seen as a kind of a superstitious activity by both laity and the clergy alike. You would have people, priests, that would consecrate the host, the bread, and then set it up on the altar, never to be eaten, but just to be displayed. So people could come in, look at it, pray to it, and just be close to it. Now I'll say this, they were right about one thing. But Jesus is in the Lord's Supper. He is present in a very physical, real, tangible way. And the Lutherans were very clear about that. He is definitely there. But they got the purpose of the Lord's Supper wrong. They got the purpose of Jesus being present in that bread. Not right. So, 
for many people during and after the Reformation to avoid the ditch of that problem. They would overcompensate and say, well, it's just a memorial meal. He's not, he's not really, he's not really in the bread. It's just sort of something we do to remember him by. And they, as a consequence, had absolutely no ceremony with the Lord's Supper whatsoever, lest they fall into the trouble of Eucharistic adoration is what that is called. Just pass the tray around, no big deal. But we know if there's a problem, if there's an error going on, the correct response isn't to just go to the other side and make an error on the other side. But rather, it's to find the truth, to find the right thing, and to do that, to stick to that. And indeed, that is what the Lutherans did in the Reformation. Christ Jesus certainly is in, with, and under the bread and wine and Holy Communion. They are his body and blood, truly there, real and present, to be eaten and drank for the forgiveness of sins. And whenever his body, the church, gathers together to come and receive this sacrament, he is surely with us, present in, with, and under it, giving himself to us as a meal for forgiveness, life, and salvation. And in the context of us coming together and eating and drinking the Holy Supper of our Lord Jesus' body and blood, in that context, it is right for us to worship, for us to adore the present real Jesus Christ for us to praise him. It's what we do, not just on holidays, but every time we do come together in this church, or if I come to you in your home when you are ill or injured or recovering, and we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And in the liturgy, after the bread and the wine have been consecrated with Jesus' own words, I turn around and I, on behalf of him, give you the greeting of the risen Christ. As he greeted his disciples on that first Easter evening, peace be with you, which is a way of saying the risen Christ is here with you. And then the congregation joins together in a song of praise to the present physical risen Christ, O Christ, thou Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world, have mercy on us. That's what I want you to remember this Christmas in particular, and always. Hymns about going to Bethlehem, hymns about worshiping at our, our Lord in the manger, those are wonderful and good. And we're going to sing some more, and you should sing some more, and sing them for the next 11 days. Christmas isn't over after tonight. It's a season. Sing them. But the greatest thing, though, is not these songs about Jesus that we love so much, but the greatest thing, and it truly is, is that Jesus Christ is here. Here and now, physically present, physically present for you, for forgiveness, to be worshipped, loved, and received. He comes to love the lonesome and the sorrowing. He comes to forgive the penitent. He comes to bless you, his dear flock, as your good shepherd. So today, come. Come to his table. 
Come to his altar to receive him. Come to his throne to worship him. Amen.